All right, it's the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin Cuthbert and Brent Gunning. And Gunner, I want to start with a question. Okay. It's actually, Hello. It's actually a two-part question. Do you believe in sports karma, number one? Yes. And does the Department of Sports Karma extend to the treatment of sports broadcasters? I hope so. I am one. <laughs> so, yes, you I very much so? hope so. So the day Maybe after- that's why the Leafs can't win, because they're so cruel to me personally. Just like every year they torment me. I love them. It's a cyclical thing. Yeah, maybe we should know. be looking at ourselves in the mirror. Maybe. A little uh, oh, more often. Oh, I, I cannot do that any more often. I have it every single... <laughs> Done with mirrors? I have... Uh, well, yes, just in general. Don't need to see this yeah. mug anymore. And I do think there is a non-zero percent chance that I look myself in the mirror as hard, if not harder, than certain members of the team wondering, what could I have done differently? And the answer is nothing. I know that. But Do you I want am, to uh, name any members of that team? Uh, just, just get really spicy off the off Well, the we have here. Babs on. What would he say? No, I don't think. Uh, no? no? Okay. No, Do we'll not not a list of five. No, we're not going to sideswipe anyone at 601 <laughs> on a Wednesday. <laughs> I guess it feels unnecessary. In the middle of summer, maybe we'll save that for Alex like a Kirkland. January show. <laughs> yeah, on the way out. A couple strays on the way out. But I asked that question because a day after Baltimore Orioles team broadcaster Kevin Brown was removed from his broadcast seat for basically just reading a graphic. Just, just reading stuff. Basically, yeah. Daniele like drops, you know, a nice little stat pack here. If, and if we I read just like some read of this what Daniele put on here, we wouldn't <laughs> be allowed on the air in Baltimore. We'd be, yeah, we'd be in deep trouble in Baltimore. So, yeah, there's a big, yeah, I don't know if it reaches, I guess it reaches a boil. The broadcasting community certainly coming out in support of Kevin Brown. But the day after that happens, mm. Felix Bautista, previously unhittable, yeah. Baltimore Orioles closer, Gives up a go-ahead grand slam in the ninth inning to Kyle Tucker of the Houston Astros last night. I ask you, I guess this is the third mm-hmm. question. Yeah. Related item. Uh, this one, no. I'm going to say no. Kyle Tucker, he's just good. Okay? okay. That guy's just really good at baseball. He's hit big. He's had big knocks in big moments. That's a World Series champ. This one, I'm going to go no. Now, I want to be also very clear about this. If this happened to a team... I cared about deeply. Okay, okay. These things would be 1,000% linked, and you would never be able to talk me out of it. But with a clear eye of not caring one way or another about, well, I, you know, I have my feelings about the Astros, I guess, but that's kind of all dead and gone. And the Orioles, I don't really care about one way or another. So in the clear light of day, I could say, sorry, I love to put everything on sports karma. I don't think that's it. Sometimes, as we have talked about ad nauseum, even good closers they're not all Mariano Rivera. And even Mariano Rivera got lit up when the Red Sox came back from 3-0 against the Yankees. See, I don't have, what do you say, the clear clear sight of day? What clear was light of clear day. Clear light of day. I don't have that. Because... I don't even know if that's a real turn of phrase. <laughs> I just invented it. I'm a guy who, you know, thought there might be some uh, vulnerability to the Tampa mm. Bay Rays a couple months ago. Picked out the Baltimore Orioles as a team that I wanted oh. to, you know, maybe stake a little confidence in. And immediately when I saw this... I thought, uh-oh, no, things are going to go poorly here. This yeah. is going to affect things. Sports karma will have its say. And one day in, one night in, one game into the schedule, post-Kevin Brown yeah. controversy, we have a grand slam in the ninth inning against, again, Felix Bautista, previously unhittable. So I'm feeling more and more confident in the world of sports karma this morning. Okay, I love it. I'm a big, big believer in it at all times. So I'm very, very here for sports karma. And I got to be honest, and I don't have it, so I'm not going to give it. If someone has anything interesting to say about the Orioles announcer uh, getting suspended, put on leave, told this. Oh, you haven't been captivated by this? Well, no, it's just like we are all rushing to the mic 
all of us who talk into the mic for a living are going, it is so wrong what has been done to my broadcasting <laughs> brethren. Agree. We just, we don't, we don't all need to say it. I saw like Gary Cohn was on the Mets broadcast during a game talking oh, hey, about they, this. Everyone who has a mic in front of a baseball field, I think, took that opportunity. You just, I, like, I get it. You want to like, you want to stand up for your the own. fraternity. It's but your own. I, if somebody has at, at this point in time, we are a day removed. I need the next thing said about it to be interesting. That's all I would like to say. I wouldn't hold your breath. Okay, yeah, exactly. So maybe no more talking about uh, it. No, uh, I'm not, no, I'm not we, poo-pooing we, we, your topic. No, I want to be clear. Say, yeah, we. I mean, we didn't go there yesterday, but I thought we, ha- we finally had something more captivating in the area. Yes, you know, you're agreed. more of a sports karma guy. And what happened I, to the I, Orioles I, last night? Me. And now we can kind of be like, okay. I love sports karma. We're probably I truly done. do. I've been, Kevin I actually, Brown's going to be talking on a mic again soon anyway. I actually have been searching for the thing that happened in 1967 and or 68 to have led the Leafs to this downfall. Somebody pitched to me the curse of Frank Mahovlich, and that led me down a weird rabbit hole. I'm like, don't get me wrong, like great player in the rafters, all that, but there need it can't just be they traded a guy. It has to be like they traded a guy after he asked not to because his family was, there has to be some knife twistiness in there, right? The Bill Barilko, we all know the story. I am on, still on the search for whatever it was that happened. Maybe there's like some horrific accident in Toronto that I'm not aware of in like 67, 68 area. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. So I, there needs to be a hook for it. Love sports karma. You're going to have this to discussion. continue digging through the archives, I think, Gunner, in order to find that. Yeah, but because if it was an easy answer, we well, would have no, found this it is the thing with me is that I get super into these projects for all of seven minutes and then I see a golf right. shot or I'm going to go play golf this afternoon and oh. immediately forget about it. Okay. You know? That's exciting. Uh, one more other thing. You know, baseball item, maybe mm. karma related. Did you see Julio Rodriguez last night? I saw you wrote the name Julio Rodriguez, and I said, you know what? I'm going to abstain. I want to get this fresh on the air. So, so no, I did not. So I saw it only in a Twitter highlight this morning. So uh, a little context missing. But Julio Rodriguez tracks back to center field, hard hit ball. Okay. Don't know who hit the ball. I know it was sure. a member of the San Diego Padres. Uh, they got a lot of guys who rob- hit it hard. He Gotta robs say. a home run, dead center. Great play, mm-hmm. but he acts like he didn't catch the ball. Oh, I love this. This is my so favorite. he kind of walk, he kind of strolls in like, oh man, we just gave up a bomb, and he's trying <laughs> to fool everyone. And then with a cheeky little grin, he reveals in the pocket of his glove that he in fact did have the ball. And I think Logan, Gil- like if I'm Logan Gilbert, who gave up the fly ball, like I'm kind, like I'm really mad for ten seconds. So are you mad? For longer than 10 seconds, if you're the pitcher oh. for the Seattle Mariners. Like, you didn't give up the home run, but your guy made you go through your angry reaction first. I want I want to say that is Fernando Tatis Jr. that he robbed the homer okay. off of. I'm just watching it right now. Uh, no, you can't be mad if you're, if you're Logan Gilbert. You could be, like, a little, like, eh. But this is, like, this, all that this tells me. You can, like, hit him upside the head. Yeah, you. sure. All that this tells me. These guys are buds and they get along because the needling, the poking, the prodding, all mm. that is just like, it's a good team. It is a good environment. Now, the other part of this is that like, this is what we know about Julio Rodriguez, the showman. He has a knack for these kind of big moments. Part of that is just him being cool. I think if you're Gilbert, you definitely like, it's, 
It's like, I don't have a brother. I've always longed for one. But I imagine it's like if your brother says something dumb, you just kind of roll your eyes and you're like, I'll deal with this or I won't. But I'm just going to internally take this one. And that's how I kind of think the reaction there. That is so cool from Julio Rodriguez. We've seen this in the past before, but I don't think anybody's played it up quite as obviously. We've seen, though, was that caught and the guy's getting up and then he shows the ball, but never so... With with as much theatrics as this yes. one. So that is awesome. I'm really happy you brought this up to me. Otherwise, I would have seen it in the middle of our conversation with Morose. You'd be like, oh, my God, John, did you see it? So I'm really happy we could get this out of our system. At and I'm, I'm pretty confident that John's uh, seen it. And I'm also pretty confident that things are okay in the Mariners clubhouse because they won again. Mm-hmm. And they are right on yeah. the heels uh, look of the Toronto Blue Jays. So the Mariners picked up a full game last night with a 2 nothing victory over San Diego, which followed the Blue Jays losing one nothing in Cleveland. It was one of those nights where I longed for the deserve to win meter mm. The thing that is the bane of my existence during the entire Maple Leaf season where we're getting so bent out of shape about, or defending, I guess, the Maple Leafs and everything that the Maple Leafs do because, hey, maybe they had a couple more shots and scoring chances mm-hmm. in a loss. It's something that we do all year long during the hockey season, and I kind of wish we saw a deserve to win a meter last night for the Blue Jays because if you ran that simulation a thousand times yep. with Yusei Kikuchi pitching the way he did, and I guess an offense getting what should amount to more than one run if you played out those nine base hits really any other way, or most of the time, mm-hmm. you probably would have a Blue Jays victory a good percentage of the time. But of course, it didn't go their way, losing one nothing in Cleveland. I guess you can go positive or negative with this because there's a lot of good. What way do you think I'm going to go, And there's quite a bit of bad, so I'll just let you go your chosen route. Look, I don't want to paper over all the good that you saw yesterday. Kikuchi continues to be the stopper for this team. You know, I half joke when I say that, but given what we've seen out of Kevin Gossman of late, Chris Bassett's been touched up on occasion. Barrios has been consistently good, but so's Kikuchi. So I don't want to paper over that. You know, that was an incredible play he made with the bare hand snag at first base. You love everything you got out of him. But what have been the issues all year long with this team? And it's about one moment in the game. It's not even about it. It, I don't begrudge them the rally they got going at the end and they couldn't ultimately get it go- or cash some runs across. Those things will happen in a game. I'm not going to I'm not going to kill them for that. But it's all about that third inning. You get three straight stri- singles strung together with one out and it's one out. You have to find a way. And honestly, even if you ground into a double play, I say, OK, at least you put the ball in play. At least you're trying to make things happen. But back to back strikeouts from Springer and Varsho, I'm pretty sure in that spot. And that's the whole game right there and this has been this team's problem because when we talk about runners in scoring position and not hitting a lot of it comes down to yeah but how much can you control how much can you control okay fair but that is a very particular instant a runner on third forgot the other two guys on base a runner on third with less than two outs for an experienced team for an experienced ball club for George Springer the most of all of those things in the lineup to not be able to come through and okay hey he strikes out these things happen I get it but then for Varsho not to be able to get bat to ball in the exact same instance that stuff just can't happen so I don't want to paper over everything else you saw you really liked pretty much everything else you got out of the game but it's just it just comes to that one moment and again at the end I'm happy they get a rally going I'm not going to kill them for not being able to cash at the very end guess what class a is nasty the fact that they could get anything going is kind of a tick in their their box for them it just all goes back to that third inning for me 
Yeah, it, it does. Uh, it kind of goes back to the lineup for me, though. Uh, I mean, we're uh, you look at it and you're like, you're not expecting a bonanza in in the run scoring department. Uh, even before the game, you got a guy like Dar- Dalton Varsho who struggled all year, who was totally miscast in a three, four mm-hmm. hitting role, hitting fifth in the lineup. You've got five guys in the lineup hitting under 225. You've got scheduled days off for Matt Chapman. You got the injury for Bo Bichette. Mm-hmm. Kiermeyer not available, also on the injured list. Alejandro Kirk comes in late as a sub, as did uh, Matt Chapman. You just opened yourself up to a night where you say Kikuchi had to be perfect in order for you to win because you put out the type of lineup that isn't going to give you much. And especially, and it's all in order too. Like it was a top heavy lineup last night. The top of the lineup was pretty much for the most part, what you would expect without Bo Bichette. It's fine. And they actually racked up some base hits, Mm -hmm. but the bottom of the lineup just killed you. And the fact that it went from Springer to Varsho, as you mentioned, I mean, you kind of asked for that because Varsho in those big spots Mm -hmm. where he's has to support the top half of the order. He's failed all season long in that role. He did start that ninth inning rally, but they couldn't cash it because it got turned over to the lesser lights of what was a bad lineup. And that's sort of the reality. It is the reality in a world where you don't have Bo Bichette available, but you're choosing an off day for Matt Chapman and you don't have Kiermaier, but you're choosing, I guess, an off day for Alejandro Kirk. And you just left yourself open for the situation, which it was, where you say Kikuchi pitched well, but you had absolutely nothing to offer Tanner Bybee. And this comes the day after Gavin Williams made a lineup look silly for the most part, and you were lucky and depended on basically one swing of the bat from Kevin Biggio in order to win that game. While so they I, were chanting you, USA. So, yeah, while they were chanting uh, USA. So I, I feel like, yeah, I mean, part of it is the situation. It is what it is. But part of it is self-inflicted, too, where that lineup, I think, could have been better. Where's my guy, David Schneider? The lineup could have been better, and I think the tactics could have been better as well. When you have nine base hits and you're just sending your bottom five, again, all hitting under 225, hacking the entire entire way until the ninth inning when Dalton Varsho drops down a bunt, I mean, I feel like you're just you're just not putting – it's mindless to me. It's a little bit mindless. It's not strategic. And I think they got the result they asked for with the lineup and with the strategy last night. I understand the point you're making about do both Kirk and Chapman have to have an off night on a night where all of these guys are also unavailable. I understand that. But, um, you know, I understand Kirk's also turned it around. Outside of last night, he's had a knock in five straight games. So this is the guy who's turning around. But what I've seen from both those guys this year do I feel better than them about Varsho in that spot? Yeah, you but do. not. You do. But not markedly. Like Chapman came up in that spot last night, and I don't know if you feel differently from me. I was like, hmm, I can't wait to watch him swing over the top of this. Hard and then to, we're hard go to come off the bench and deal with Classe. So, totally. Is... But I would have had the same feeling about Chapman if he would have come up in the third inning and he would have sure. been starting and it would have been against Oh Baby, okay? Like it exactly would have felt the exact same way. These go back to the conversations we had about this team at the deadline. It's not going to feel scary until the guys who are supposed to feel scary do. And Vlad got a knock last night. Good on him. Springer couldn't come through. Bad, bad. Tiss, tisk. Boba not there. The lineup is what it is. And, you know, we talked about T. Oscar at nauseum. Davis Schneider not being there. Should he have played last night? I can hear both sides of it, honestly. I can hear the idea of, like, look, this kid just got shot out of a cannon. Maybe give him a day to, like, cool his jets, get his head straight, and not think he is absolutely put in pen in a major league lineup every day. I have no problem with that. I can also hear the side of, well, he's the only guy swinging the bat with any 
you know, real wits about him right now. So maybe keep him in the lineup. I get it. It just goes back to, honestly, of the three guys we list there, Schneider's the one that makes the least sense to me not to play because I can understand the idea of, I mean, especially, let's be honest, Alejandro Kirk. Like, you got to make sure the guy gets his off days. Matt Chapman, that guy is going to play third base for you. Like, again, we saw what it looks like when it's Santiago Espinal or when it's somebody else. You need that guy out there. Saw it last night. They're playing 17 games straight. Somebody's going to need a blow here and there. So this, if if you have an issue with the lineup, and I'm not saying you can't have one, your issue is not, or my, in my opinion, the issue is not with John Schneider and what he's doing. It should be upstairs and the lack of options available. That is available 100% to fair. Uh, that is 100% fair. I do think there's something to curtailing some momentum, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, David Schneider has the 0 for 4, and then he sits on the bench. And, uh, yeah, maybe you just don't want to run that guy out because it's David Schneider, and he hasn't really proven anything yep. other than that he can have a great weekend. Schneider's uh, the guy the I would have most liked to have seen. But if it's like, if we're talking about, and again, this sounds ridiculous, but it's like, why didn't Kevin Biggio hit higher than Dalton Varsho? If we want to break up the righty, 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 Kevin Biggio has this awesome night. And if you put him maybe in that spot, maybe you have a better chance than Dalton Varsho, who every time he's put in that position never comes through. And Kevin Biggio didn't have a good night either. Well, I mean, that, that's the thing, right? It's and, like, look what's and, and, and I'm banging the drum for Kevin Biggio, yeah, and well, it sounds ridiculous. Kind of and maybe problem. that's what we're talking about management. But it just feels like, oh, you know, maybe that little nugget or that little that opportunity, that window mm-hmm. to continue the momentum or yeah. build on what you just did. All of yesterday's show, not all of yesterday's show, yeah, yeah. but like we, Kevin Bijou was the story the for the previous game. game. Yeah, and and I felt like that could have been the, an opportunity for him. But again, we are digging at the bottom of the barrel if we're having the argument between Varsho and Bijou. In a five hole, because neither should be in a five hole on a lineup that's going to the playoffs and wants to make noise, even when there are injuries that a team is dealing with. And again, look at what's below those guys. Like, I understand the idea of breaking it up and not wanting to concentrate all your offense, but there's a reason we put guys at the top of the lineup. It's so they can get as many ABs, not only over the course of a season, but over the course of a game. And, you know, I, you know, you see Varsho come up and would you maybe like to have seen that at another point in the game, not the ninth? Yeah, maybe, maybe it doesn't work, but he's the guy who is able to get a bunt down. He's the guy who's able to get on base he's the guy who's able to make it just a little bit uncomfortable for Klasse so again I want to be very clear I do not want to be painted into the corner of Brent Gutting our QR codes we were talking about yesterday make sure this one's very clear (laughs) should not have Dalton Varsho batting five but given the options available to him, should he have batted six? Then Kirk should have played last night. Okay, I can hear that. But I also don't think that changes really much about the game. Does Kirk probably strike out in that spot? Probably does, probably. Yeah, and this is part of my argument. Well, for... he doesn't strike out because he hits everything, but you know what I mean. Yeah, like a weak fly out to you know, center field. Uh, part of my argument for, okay, leave George Springer in the leadoff spot a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. for me was, well, Whit Merrifield's very, very productive in the middle of the lineup. Yep. And he's been able to support your big guys, Bo and Vlad, and make sure that they're not standing mm-hmm. on first base and walking slowly back to the dugout because he's been able to be productive in that spot. And that's why I'm kind of like, not that I'm saying Springer should be up there again or the failure. Mm-hmm. Like it's either way, it's so self serving the argument. It's like, oh, look what happened. The Springer's batting fourth. But it's just like, if you take away from something to improve something else, it's going to leave you exposed in other ways. And you can keep moving the, the deck chairs around, yep. but you're still going to have problems. And that the, the fact of the matter is, and again, we can go back to management because they didn't do anything to supplement an offense. And when you bring a lesser than lineup to the table, yep. which they did yesterday with a golden opportunity to continue to stack wins together, to continue to distance yourself 
uh, not even distance yourself because, as we mentioned, Seattle mm-hmm. Mariners coming on to continue to keep pace with everybody else. You lost that opportunity because you brought something lesser than for reasons that are both self-inflicted from the managerial standpoint, from the management standpoint, and maybe, and I think uh, to a certain extent, some bad tactical stuff. Because if you're just going to go out there hacking five straight guys sitting under 225, mm-hmm. you're asking for trouble. Yeah, there is. there are going to be lineups that this team is going to run out there that you're not going to like. That's going to be the case when they have everyone available to them. They are missing two regulars in Bichette and Kiermaier right now, and then you throw in the off days. And again, like, I know everyone rolls their eyes about it, and I went on a huge rant to you and Daniele before the show about how people need to toughen up and just get on with their lives and do their job. So maybe I'm the wrong guy to give it, but you can't play every day. You cannot play every single day. Like Cal Ripken, not walking through that door. So you have to find time to give guys a blow. And that's why I don't think it needed to be both of them. Like, I think that is a fair criticism that it didn't need to be both of them. But it also goes to just the lack of danger in this lineup, quite frankly. I mean, just close your eyes. Think about the 15, 16 Jays teams. Think about last year's Jays lineup. And generally speaking on those teams, you have couple hitters at the bottom of the lineup that you say, yeah, not crazy about, but they could swipe you a bag, but they play good defense. The problem is there are too many of those butt guys on this Jays team. It's like, oh, you don't love what Darson Dalton Varsho gives you, but he could, it gives you versatility, but he could swipe you a bag. It's like Santiago Espinal. You don't really love anything, but he was an all-star last year. So mm-hmm. apparently that counts for something. They have too many of those guys that you have to talk yourself into as opposed to it just being apparent of kind of exactly where they should slot it. Yeah, that all-star nod, uh, a bit of a curse because it's such a crutch. It's, it's such a crutch, it feels like. I, I this actually think I bring it up, more than, last year. I bring it up more than anyone else. Uh, uh, Santiago Espinal looks like anything uh, but an all-star right now. And, and uh, one thing like, just on the day, listening to Blair and Barker, uh, they had uh, the Jays post game yesterday, and a caller suggested, hey, you know, you say Kikuchi on the mound. Uh, he gets a lot of strikeouts, but there's some ground balls as well. There's a lot that's going to be going towards the third base. Mm-hmm. The game-winning yep. hit or the only hit of any consequence last night was a double down the line. Probably would have been a tough play for Matt Chapman. But that is where a lot of balls are going to go mm-hmm. when you say Kikuchi's pitching and you take out maybe the best yeah. uh, third baseman defensively in all of baseball uh, in a game where you say Kikuchi's pitching. Maybe the, the tactics there a little bit strange, but again, that's fair. Yeah. It, it's... It's just all at once. You open yourself up to go one and one to start a Cleveland Guardian se- series, and if they don't win three or four, I think it's disappointing. Like it's going to be, it's it's going to be a disappointing result if they do anything but win the next two games. Gosman tonight, Manoa tomorrow. I I believe there. So I mean that that's your one and one right there. If I'm looking at it right away, it's like they should go win the Kevin Gosman start. He has proven, or he. If if everyone's been right in telling me to cool my jets about the post All Star related panic, then that's the guy you need to be the stopper for this team today. And the bats they might struggle again because shocker, how many times have we heard this? You're going to have to win some three one games. You're going to have to win some two one games, and it's going to be uncomfortable. But that's the whole point of having the nasty nasty back end of the pen that you do. Uh, post All Star, here's a one that I you should cling to, that you should bang the drum on, that you mm. should be saying loudly. Uh, you say Kikuchi, MLB best, 1.25 ERA since the All Star break. Nails. He's been staving off all challengers. Like it, it's been, it's a six man rotation. I guess it opens up for competition. I guess he's the one who translates most to the bullpen. If we're talking about different roles and altered roles, yep. once the playoff roll rolls around, once September rolls around, you might want to go to a five man rotation. 
you can't take Yusei Kikuchi out of the rotation right now. He's been too good. The 1.25 ERA underscores that, but he's just a gamer. He's getting out there and he's competing and he is giving the Blue Jays the most right now out of the rotation, especially, I guess, over the last month here with such a brilliant ERA. And he's just like, he's giving you everything. He is giving you everything. And it's, it's, it's unsurprising now when he goes out there and pitches the way he does. Yeah, if you want to if you want to draw a line from the All-Star break, I think it's pretty fair to power rank the Jays starters as such. Kikuchi 1, Barrios 2, and then Gosman and Bassett, I think you could probably quibble with. They both sure. have had little blips that you don't love. And then, uh, you know, in a distant fifth, Alec Manoa. And honestly, which saw to Ryu, I know he got dinged, but you saw, you liked a lot more what you saw out of him in the last start than what you've seen out of Manoa lately. You have to commend him. And I think... I think the important thing to bring this up now, one guy's a pitcher, one guy's a hitter. Obviously, it doesn't mean these things are going to happen. Just remember everything we all said about Yusei Kikuchi last year and just have that in the back of your mind when we're speaking about Dalton Varsho this year. Now, again, pitcher versus a hitter, but these are both guys who came from a completely different place in the country, and I'm not talking about, like, where they're born. I'm talking about, like, one guy, they're both on the West Coast in terms of where they were playing. Coming into a new market, there's a lot of expectations for you. With Kikuchi, it was because of the contract. With Varsho, it was because of the trade and what was given up for him, so I just think we should all kind of keep that in the back of our mind. This guy was a lost cause. We weren't looking at him, can he help in the pen? It's, eh, could he mop up when we've either screwed up or scored a million runs? That that was what he was looked at as. Mitch White. Right. And it has been incredible. Now, I don't think even the people who are the most bullish on Kikuchi, like I don't think, you know, Ross and Mark would have told you that this is what they thought they were getting in free agency. But how can you not look at it as any other way? And you're right in terms of just a straight conversion of eh, lefty throws heat, has a good secondary pitch. Yeah, that'll play any time a game, but it'll definitely play in the pen. But how can you take him out of the rotation? He's been far and away your best starter. He's definitely going to be one of the four should you get to a real playoff series. And honestly, the way he's been pitching, why wouldn't he be one of the three in the wildcard series unless you had to pitch him to get to that point? Well, we shouldn't uh, forget about Yusei Kikuchi when thinking about Dalton Varshow. I hope management doesn't take the same tack. No, no, you can't just assume your mistake no, is going to fix th- they itself. They kind of did with Yusei Kikuchi. Like Mitch White was kind of the contingency program mm-hmm. for him. Uh, and clearly, you know, he entered the season with injuries. He never got on track. And everyone wants to forget the mm-hmm. Mitch White era, of course. But that was kind of what was put in place uh, before the season. Yep. Where the, that's what you were going to. That's if it didn't work, Yusei Kikuchi was going to be a replacement level pitcher at best. I don't think they can go into next season just being like, yeah, we'll turn it around. Like, I, I just don't think like that is the best way to approach things. This, oh, this no, I don't think the team should approach it that way. I just think we should all keep that. No, in no the, that's one hundred. That's one hundred percent fair. But just adding, like, it, it should not. Depending on that, would be wrong. Being hopeful that it can happen would be you know, reasonable. Yeah, I think so. Like, again, like say what you will about Dalton Varsho. They, everybody wasn't blind when they were looking at him. Like they didn't read a scouting report in Braille and go, eh, this guy feels good. I don't, that's not what happened here. Like there's a reason why they went out and did this. And I want to be clear. I would not have made that trade. I would have traded Alejandro Kirk and held on to Gabriel Moreno. And I was saying that at the time and before that, but I also don't think you can just pour dirt on the guy and consider him, you know, dead as an asset because, We see this all the time in baseball. Like baseball is such a regional game that we don't, we don't even know what happens out there. Like you and I do this for a living and it's like, 
talk about the Cincinnati Reds. Go. It's like, I got Joey Votto and Ellie Dela Cruz, and that's about it. Like, you that's, know, that's about it. That's about it, right? There are guys who are having transcendent seasons that have spurned their teams on into positions they had no place to be in. And guess what? They're big money dudes who are failing in other markets, but we don't talk about them because we don't care. So I think we have to keep that in mind with baseball is there is such a variance season to season, and a big down year doesn't beget a big downward slide for a player. It could just be it's a game of failure and you could fail more in one year than you're supposed to. And you can rearrange the pieces, right? I mean, you totally. kind of, when you went out and got Kevin Kiermaier, it was like, ah, he's not, not the best at the play. Yeah, he's supposed to be a, so like you want to be the guy. best ninth hitter in the league. Okay. I mean, expectations kind of low, but you're going to give us brilliant uh, defensive work. And Dalton Varsho can just be that guy maybe next year. And yep. you can improve in other areas uh, as you continue to support him and hope that he can well, reach then, the potential that you laid out. And to your Kikuchi point, if you if you go about it that way, look at what found money it can be, right? Mm-hmm. Blue Jays weren't looking at Kikuchi as he's going to be our three starter this year. It was like, okay, he's five and we'll go from there. Now everything that happened with Manoa, we know what happened there, but look at the position it put them in that they could have a guy who they're banking on to be there. One B at worst, just completely disappear off the face of the earth. And it hasn't affected the rotation yeah, at yeah. all. So if you go about that way with Varsho in the off season, in terms of your team building of not to say he's a spare part, but it's like, okay, He's going to play left field and we're not going to really pigeonhole him anywhere in the lineup, wherever he fits, he fits. Then all of a sudden Varsho's your seven hitter. And if that's the case, not th- not what you've seen this year, but what you can expect from him, you're laughing. And, and the optics is about the trade, right? It's not about the money. It's not like Dalton yeah. Varsho's breaking the bank. No, God, the, the, no. the thing that really people sticks don't even in know, your craw. People don't even know what baseball players make. Go out there on the text uh, line. Unless, what is unless it's too much. Yes, unless for it's sure. too much, and that's when it is, that's when it's an issue. So this is still something that you could work around. It's something you can massage. It's not a huge deal because you're not spending your capital yep. that you need to spend otherwise on Dalton Varsho. The thing that bothers you is what you gave up, totally. rather than what you're paying. Totally for Dalton Varsho. Are, are you ready for a Pascal Siakam update? I am. I don't know if it's the biggest update in the world, but uh, Pascal Siakam is sort of. Actually, he's fully in the camp of William Nylander. We're just like, okay, let's let's uh, just make sure we know exactly what's going on That's, with this that feels Toronto like athlete. Such a good comp, actually. There's, there's just the like, Nylander pass. Yeah, Kelsey there's a, thing. Just oh, yeah. some people who will never fully buy in. I might be that guy for one of them. I'll let you listeners decide who that is. There's okay. some people out I think there. They know already. Yeah, I think they do too. <laughs> there's some people out there who overpraise them for what they are. They can at any given time look and perform for a burst like a top 10 player in the league, but they're well below that when you're actually looking at them on any given moment. Like, I actually think there are a lot of Nylander-Siakam parallels. And even beyond that, I mean, the future just in question a little bit with both these athletes right now. So via Sham Sharania yesterday of The Athletic, no contract. Good source, would trust. Would trust. No contract talks despite uh, being eligible for the four-year 192. It's another thing. It's like, I don't understand how these guys aren't just jumping. Not that there might it might not be there but 192 million dollars available to you eh, might, might take it oh injuries injuries can happen anyway no contract talks at all between the two at the moment but also no trade request has been issued so they're just in this impasse they're just staring at each other they're just waiting to show up in training camp and i guess ignore each other in the hallways that's just kind of what it seems like here with pascal siakam but there have been other teams of course that have been involved directly with the raptors in trade discussion uh, and Atlanta has always been the team that we've been talking about. And apparently, via Shams, they offered a package uh, centered around DeAndre Hutter, A.J. Griffin, and draft compensation for Siakam. But the Raptors believe to have upped the price on any possible deal at each turn. 
like, I don't really learn much from this. Like, I guess DeAndre Hunter and A.J. Griffin are names that yep. are now fir- more firmly attached to the, what we've been talking about. Yep. Kobe Bufkin has been the guy that people have been more interested in, mm-hmm. and I guess he's not named here, so that's important context. But draft compensation is totally vague. It yep. means nothing unless you know what the draft compensation is. So getting too excited about this, really, uh, like, there's no reason to do that. You have to know what the deal is in order to really, uh, you know, either slam or question or whatever you want to do with Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster. Draft compensation isn't enough to really go in on this deal because DeAndre Hunter and A.J. Griffin aren't getting the job done for Pascal Siakam, and you'd rather hold on to it and risk Fred Van Fleet like uh, consequences where he just walks for nothing when those are the guys that we know about exclusively yeah it uh it's funny uh, this is again very similar to the jays conversation we just had and that the issue isn't what to do with pascal siakam now the issue is the mistakes you made that led you to this place if you had done a proper tank last year and not even i'm not even asking for them to have just gone scorched earth even if you don't buy at the deadline you're in a more proper lottery spot and we all love Grady Dick, and I'm ready to have my heart ripped out when maybe he's not the greatest player of all time, I'm being told, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. But if you had a more clearly youth direction, you could say, yeah, all right, let's take some young kids. Let's take some picks. Let's go that way. We got Wembenyama or Scoot Henderson or somebody else that was a sexier figure to kind of build around with Scotty Barnes. You could say, okay, but because they refused to do that, because they stayed in this mushy middle, Having those young players, it's not going to do you any good. So I have been a big believer that they needed to move off Siakam. And again, it's not because Siakam can't help you. It's that he can't be the best player on a team and that team go anywhere. And on this team, he is clear as day, the best player. So I think they needed to make this move, but they need to make it with futures in mind. Like, honestly, the best version of this trade, and I think NBA teams have wised up to this, so you're not doing it now, is doing the old... Uh, Brooklyn Nets, uh, Gerald Wallace trade, where it's like, I don't want your first rounder this year. I don't want it next year. I want three first rounders at the end of this decade because that's (laughs) when I think you're going to suck. Like, honestly, Mm -hmm. that is what the Raptors should be looking at here. The idea of... He's not good enough for that, I don't think. No, Gerald Wallace. No, that's the thing. Like, you, you find a team that is desperate enough. And again, I think Siakam is somebody who, a team who is desperate, a team who is on the verge. They're not going to... Atlanta's as desperate as you're going to get yeah but the problem is is that atlanta's not on the verge you need a team that is desperate and on the verge like if like see what miami's doing right now they're pushing all in because they just saw that they can win they're saying okay we have to get dame we have to get it you hope that what you can do is not dame well but this is the thing if you find a desperate team and you have them in a really untenable spot for them. Miami can't just roll into the season with just Jimmy Butler, and that's that. They have to find a way to improve that team. They have to find a way to improve that situation. So I have long been a proponent of trading Siakam, but again, the crossroads they're at now isn't right now's problem. It is the one that Masai said. There were all these great things he could revisit in the summer. Has he? I don't think so. Yeah, I think that's that's the important point uh, to leave it on because – what he thought was there hasn't been there. And that doesn't mean, you know, the Pascal Siakam lack of trade mm-hmm. is the reason for that. Yeah. But uh, Fred Van Vliet walked for nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, any OG and an OB deal that you may have been considering, yep. I, I mean, maybe you 
rerouted your direction because of Fred, but I don't think it was there. And it certainly hasn't been worth even entertaining. His name hasn't been out there. I think he's been sort of placated by the fact that, hey, there's a guy, there are guys leaving and mm-hmm. we're going to build around you. And I guess you're going to get more of the ball, which is probably not going to be a great thing for the Toronto Raptors over yeah. an 82-game season because he's not really that guy. Well, uh, the, other, the other part of this as well, and I know people will say, what are you talking about? Similar players have coexisted before. I've seen it for a couple of seasons now. You're not getting the best version of Scotty Barnes while Pascal Siakam is on this team. And that's not a fault of Pascal Siakam. He has a vacuum to him on the floor, especially one with the skills, with the with the quality of teammates around him. Again, he's clear, far and far away, the best player on that team. And it just causes guys to defer to him and not to Barnes. And I'm not saying everyone has to, you know, just say, oh, whatever Scotty wants, Scotty gets. But you got to put the keys in that guy's hands at some point in time and figure out what mm. it is you have. Again, if Fred was still here and you're looking at this, this is a rebuild or a retool, then it doesn't have to go that way. But given everything we've seen from this team, that is the most important question to figure out right now is just how much trust can you put in Scotty Barnes for the future of this franchise? And you can't really answer that so long as Pascal Siakam's here, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think that is, I think that's fair to an extent. I do think, you know, there's, not that you're clinging to the past with Pascal Siakam as long as he's on your roster, but it is hard to completely turn it over. Mm -hmm. It's hard to give others more responsibility because as you mentioned, he's a sponge that absorbs most of what's happening on the floor when he is on the floor. However, he's he fits that box, but isn't a premium no. in that box, right? Like you don't have teams falling over themselves to try and get Pascal Siakam because he's not the guy who absorbs and gives you a chance to be a championship team. No, but every team won't, but there will be like, again, it has to be a very specific, a team doesn't go from a non-contender to a title contender because they added Mm -hmm. Pascal Siakam. But a team that is very fringy, like let's just pick again, like NBA contracts or nuts, who knows if these trades work, the Mavs. Like you pair up Luca with a guy like Pascal and all of a sudden, I'm not saying they win the title, but that you can't tell me that team has no shot to do it depending on what they surround themselves with. So I just think, and again, I am, it's funny. I'm on the other side of this now because I'm the guy who's like, eh, he ain't that good. He is just good enough for somebody to talk themselves into him being the second banana on the team. I really, I don't, truly believe I don't that. think he's built to be a complimentary piece. Like I, I'm, I'm just like, well, that's what he was I'm, when the raps won their title. He was, he was third or fourth. Agreed. Most important. Agreed. And that was before Pascal Siakam became a guy who was going to be a max player earning 192 over four, but look at more. what, but look at what was around him. Once he became that guy, it's like, if Kawhi Leonard would have stayed, um, uh, the other part of that is that the Raptors would have repeated and they would have won the title again, which would have been amazing. Thanks for that, Kawhi. I mean, seriously, thanks for the first one, but what were you doing leaving for the second one? But it becomes a completely different equation. Once Kawhi's gone, it's like, yes, Fred Van Vliet needs to have the ball, but not the same way Kawhi did. And nobody on that team needs to be deferred to in the way Kawhi did because of where he is in kind of the NBA pecking order. It just allowed Siakam to be that guy. I personally think you put him with a true superstar, air quotes, whatever that number is in the league to you. Maybe there's five of them. Maybe there's eight. It's kind of like what we do with NHL goalies or whatever. But whatever that number is, I firmly believe if you put him with that guy, one, he would defer. And two, it would be a pretty scary partnership for for the most part. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm not 100% convinced. Uh, 
I'm willing to see it clearly yeah. because I think it's the best thing for the Toronto Raptors. Would, will, would but you're willing to see you're it as talk, well. You're talking about a very specific, okay, a team that's like fringy but could be a title yeah. contender. I don't think there's a ton of teams that fit th- the market. There aren't a ton of teams, but there are some teams, and there seems to be zero interest outside the Atlanta Hawks and Pascal Siakam, and I think that is telling. I honestly think that is telling. And what I'm getting from this report this summer, the entire situation involving Siakam, is that there are one of two options that's going to end up happening here. They're either going to lose him for nothing at a certain point mm-hmm. because they've decided, kind of like Fred, where they're, oh, we like you, but do well, we like you that I much? I think what will end up happening, they'll, they'll have to do a sign and trade. It'll that, be like the Kyle Lowry. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, that's one option. Or the second option is that you sign that deal mm-hmm. and you hope that he can retain value for one day you reach a point where you can trade him. And I don't know, there's obviously a lot of risk associated with that, but guys get traded in this league who are diminishing dead assets all the time, and Pascal Siakam is far from that. I don't know if that's the best process, though. Just signing a deal with a guy who you do not necessarily see a future with, but that's kind of where I see the Raptors trending here. Yeah, I I understand that. Sorry, I'm just putting together a Pascal Siakam Dallas Mavericks uh, trade machine proposal. And you can make the math work. I don't know that anybody wants to be involved in the Tim Hardaway, Rashawn Holmes, and Jaden Hardy for Pascal Siakam trade. But the contracts and the math do work. I I totally see your, your school of thought on that. I do understand in terms of the way not only he's perceived, but in what he is capable of. I just, I think that this is what happens when guys kind of get to this point is, for the truly transcendent player, and I'm with you, Dame and Pascal are not on the same level. Dame is clearly a peck, a peck above or a step above. Guys do rush to the front of the line. And then typically there's a slow playing and like, oh, what are you going to give us? And these dances go on for months. With a guy like Siakam, it almost always happens as a last resort where teams say, yes, interested. We'll look at you in the summer when I don't have to give up anything or it's a much lesser asset. But... There always comes a time in the season, we see it every year, where one of these contenders has a a moment in their year. Somebody gets hurt. Things are going off the rails. Chris Paul punches a teammate. Whatever it is that happens in the NBA where a team needs to make a pretty big in-season shift, and I still think with Pascal, it you don't need to rush to do it by the time the season starts because teams will make that big swing in season and you can't find a way to make it work. So they, that's the way I look at they it. They need some level of desperation, right? They yep. need a team to be somewhat desperate. And the only thing the only team that seems desperate right now and it seems like, oh boy, you should you should be looking at things completely different mm-hmm. are the Atlanta Hawks, but even they are not desperate enough to give up what seems like the sort of assets the Raptors would want to take back in return. And I think this is kind of the problem with Siakam is that he can price himself a certain way, but do you really see him that way? Yeah. Like he could be in the, okay, all NBA max, super max. He could, he could get himself in that conversation and that would be the worst thing for the Raptors. Honestly, if he plays himself into that sort of scenario where he is valued just via paperwork Mm -hmm. like this, when really he only gave you that because he's in the situation where he's in, where he's the guy who's the centerpiece of everything for a team that's not doing squat. Looking at you, Will Lou and the Raptors show. You guys were driving that OG Depoy uh, Defense Player of the Year bandwagon last year. We can just, I just want bad things said about Siakam. <laughs> Drive those all NBA votes down. Uh, National Bank Open update for you. Oh, you want me to give no, it? No, I'm giving it oh, to okay. you. <laughs> I, was like, I was not prepared. Canadians, uh, not exactly faring the best. Mm. Felix Oje Ali's seem 
uh, loses nah, early at shame. the National Bank like Open. Him. He's now 13 and 13. It has not on the year, not been a good year for Felix, taking a step back this year. Uh, Bianca Andrescu, who had a little momentum happening, well, that's been curtailed as well because. Bianca Andrescu is out at the National Bank Open. We did see Layla Annie Fernandez there we go. go through. So there's a little bit of Canadian content still remaining at the National Bank Open. There's a couple more qualifiers. You got the Milos Raonic story. But in terms of like best chances to give you a homegrown winner, Bianca and Felix are not going to be providing that. That's I, I'd be happy for Layla if she won. Although I will say Canadian men. Got to step up on the golf side of things. Brooke and Nick have taken care of it. Like in this century, Bianca's done it on the women's side of things. Give her her credit. Totally do. Looking at you, Milos. Probably not your time at all. (laughs) I don't think so. But you got to do something here. We need a man to have a moment at the National Bank Open presented by Rogers. And uh, just one, uh, just a little, just if somebody could do this for me, I imagine it's happened somewhere in the history of mankind. But if a tennis player's ever lost a match and just said, well, that person was just better than me, not, oh, my back, not it was too hot, not some vague excuse, but just that person performed better than me. Actually, once I saw it, Andy Roddick tipped his cap to Roger Federer after he beat the wheels off him in the Wimbledon final. But not since then have I seen a tennis player just talk about the other person being great and not giving excuses. So there we go. That's tennis corner with me. (laughs) You're saying tennis has a bit of a, you know, culpability responsibility problem it's a lot of whiners that talk about their team all the time really you're painting yeah it's a broad stroke i i am yeah i'm out (laughs) you're out on tennis have you ever been in on tennis (laughs) yeah i used to play i was on my high school tennis team shout out to my boy raga and everyone everyone was just complaining uh I mean, yeah, there was a lot. Like Now that I think about it, yeah, there was a lot of complaining. I actually, uh, I don't know. Yeah, we'll sneak it in here. I got suspended from a high school hockey game for actions at a high school tennis tournament. So, yeah, I've, uh, I run hot in all uh, walks of I'm going to need you to explain that a little I, bit further. Uh, I was upset. I didn't hit a shot the way I wanted to, and I went to whip my racket into the net. And it missed the net and it like skipped two courts over. And it was funny. I knew the guy who it like it brushed against his foot. And then te- <laughs> ten- so- and then tennis people are like, ah, get this hooligan out of here. We can't be having this. So the this. gym teacher is like, no, you can't put that aggression on the ice. You're just not no, allowed on the, the ice. The TDSB called me in for a hearing. And I had to go at like seven in the morning for a panel of like three different gym teachers. And my tennis coach, that snake, he was like, I think he needs to learn a lesson. And my hockey coach is like. He threw a tennis racket. It ain't that serious. And guess wow. what? It wasn't. Wow. Some crossover discipline for oh, Brett yeah. Gunning as a high school. I, I venture that's got to be a Toronto District School Board record. I don't think anybody has ever think been everything's suspended. on file. Do you think every incident is on file? It better in Toronto be. District they better School not Board. drag me in there for a, for a tribunal. Someone dig that up. I want to I see. Joey Votto's high school, Richview Collegiate. <laughs> that's where I had to go do it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I got to be the only one for that. At least I made Toronto history that way. Uh, that's I, good luck for you. Segwaying <laughs> out of that. Have fun. Yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's possible. So let's just go to a break <laughs> and let's do the a list on the other side of said break. That's next. Sportsnet 590. The fan. Now it's time for hey, yo. the a list. Bing bong. Bing bong. Busy, busy show. John Morosi, Neil Schuster, Brandon Bean, Buffalo Bills general manager, and Jeff Blair will join us in the 7 and 8 o'clock hours. But first, the A-list. 
And I have a question for you first. Go for it. Do you know where that what's up, baby, in there comes from? It is so cool. I love that. It's one of my favorite I drops. Don't I don't know. Okay. I, I'm not sure. We're going to have to. We, can, we can figure that out, though. We can I could have asked you literally any other time. You, but you, love, the, you love the A-list music. I do. I it even threw my good. own bing bong in there yesterday. You did. You it's did. great. Having fun. Uh, two items, quickly. Bit of a pattern to these items. Uh, first thing is in Jacksonville, Jaguars camps, obviously underway. Uh, in the urinals at Jacksonville Jaguars camp, okay. uh, they, are, they are, I guess, smart urinals where mm-hmm. you get a reading on hydration based yeah. on what you're putting into the urinal. <laughs> Gunnar, I ask you if that was uh, something, if we had smart urinals yeah. here at Sportsnet 590, the fan, what would it be reading about you? Like, why is this guy pouring black coffee down the urinal all the time? <laughs> that's what it would say. Uh, uh, yeah. I think that's for everybody. I actually would love, I think this would be like a great, a great thing in like a buddy's trip Airbnb. Like you're going up to a cottage and it's like, like, there's just one, like the rest can all just be, they can have a trough for all I care for the rest of them. But one smart urinal be like, all right, let's see who's the most dehydrated here, fellas. I love it. And like, in like Scottsdale, they'll have, they'll have Airbnbs set up specifically for like bachelorettes where there's like vanities along a wall. And it's like a big thing, a big Instagram thing (laughs) for like a bachelor party. It should just be a a trough that's giving you some readings on what everyone's going through uh, at the moment. But this one, again, urine related, uh, I guess is a little bit more applicable. Mm. John Rahm was asked about, you know, what he might, what he would want out of a new deal, what do you yeah. change about PGA Tour, just basically asked in general if there's anything he'd like to see yeah. in the future on the PGA Tour. And two things came out of mm-hmm. his mouth, both, I guess, somewhat related. He just wants porta-potties okay. on every hole available to him. And then after he talked about the porta-potties, he was talking about how the food could be better in some places. I, I love a man who's like, where am I going to go to the bathroom? What am I going to eat? He's got his priorities crystal clear. Uh, now, I'm trying to remember if it was him or it was Dustin Johnson doing this while John Rahm was hitting, but somebody was urinating and it got caught on camera of just like, I'm going to go pee on a tree. So maybe that's why he's a little <laughs> sensitive about this. Also, though, careful what you wish for. Because Tyrrell Hatton, who has a lot of things uh, to say in the game of golf, he once famously was getting ready to uh, hit a shot, address it, and you just hear a porta potty just slam shut and mm. camera pans over, and it was his wife, actually. So he started giving it to her. Like, <laughs> nice. oi, could you make some more noise? So it's just like, careful what you wish for, I guess. But yeah, like I've, again, like I've walked inside the ropes, and it's like these guys are like, eh, where's the bathroom? Da da da. So yeah, like probably not the worst thing to uh, get an extra bathroom yes, out there. But I for feel him. like it'd be somewhat hard to police. Like you were on the grounds of the RBC Canadian Open. I was there for an yep. afternoon. I mean, if you just see a porta potty, someone's going to be ducking under a rope to try and get. You'd have to have a security guard at every porta potty, and who wants to do that? Mm. The security it, it is a tough. That would be a tough beat. Of like, okay, you're going to stand by the 18th <laughs> green, and you are by the porta potty. You tackled Hadwin last yeah. year, so we'll see you on the sixth porta potty. Yeah. No, I feel like that guy's like guarding the trophy next year. Actually, yeah, I think so I think he got a that guy should be that. that guy should be presenting it next year. He may, he Sorry, may, Bob. He may, in fact, uh, if if uh, Adam Hadwin wins uh, 100%, they'll have to make that content play work. Uh, busy, busy show. Morosi, Schuster, Brandon Bean, Jeff Blair will start off our string of guests with John Morosi next.